Matthew chapter 7 verse 13 says this. Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it. Because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way that leads to life. And there are a few to find it. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. Or you will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit. And if a bad tree... A bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits you will know them. Now, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven Oh, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken them to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house and it did not fall for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it fell. And great was its fall. So it was when Jesus had ended these sayings that the people were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Pray with me, would you please? Lord, I thank you so much for what you're going to do in this time. For the way that you're going to minister. For the profound and infinite love that you have for us. God, I pray that we would have so much fun in your word today. I pray we would be radically impacted, be it the first time we've heard this or that we believe we could quote it by rote. And I pray, God, as we look at this uh, end of this sermon that you spoke that today would be profoundly, powerfully impacting to each of us. God, captivate us in your word. May your word be truly everything you intended to do here. Bring salvation, hope, transformation, correction, rebuke, equipping every saint for your work. And God, I pray you would immerse me in your spirit that they would see you. And come upon me that you would speak now to each one of us, bespoke to our ears and heart, individually at our need and corporately as a family. Oh God, I just pray today that this would be a pivotal moment for the rest of our life. And we expect this, God, because you're here. We recognize you're here and we recognize that you're not here to to lounge and relax. Although we do pray you would make your, your heart or your home in our hearts 
I do pray, God, that you would do with your word everything you intend, active and living, sharper than a double-edged sword. Burst open and come alive now, God, for us, we pray in such a way, in your word, that we'll be forever changed. In Jesus' name. Amen. I would say today, say, well, any, please don't just believe me. Don't just assume it's true because I say so. Search the scriptures. Let the Bible always be your final say. Now, many of you probably can remember some of this. If you've been to Sunday school or such, you probably made a song out of the end of this. And it's kind of a really, you know, it's a, it's a sort of a carefree song where it's like in the house on the sand went splat or whatever, however that ends. The problem is <clears throat> that when a house goes splat in real life, it isn't as cute. It's a guy that grabs a weapon and starts shooting people in a university. It's a man who starts beating his children. It's a person who goes on a rampage in a, in a busy street. It's a woman who commits suicide. And we don't see that the same way because, well, that's not the same cute little song that we sang perhaps as kids. I didn't. I wasn't raised in that. But I recognize how cute it is. And we kind of get the idea and we get that a wise man builds his house on the rock and a, and a foolish man on the other hand builds his house on the sand. And we get the idea. And we don't even and then you say, well, what's the rock and what's the sand? And we don't even really tie it to what he says here, which is you better do what I say. Jesus just spoke a sermon in chapters five through seven in a group of people that have all been profoundly touched by him. In chapter 4, at the end of it all, Jesus called four fishermen. And all they knew how to do was throw their nets low and pull up everything and let the, the chief fishermen sort through it. And that's exactly what they did. They threw their nets to the bottom and they pulled up people. And they pulled up the people that were at the bottom. The paralytics, the, par- the possessed, the powerless, the emotional basket cases. The people that other people avoid on the street for good reason. And they shower their kids with protection when they get near. Those are the people these guys were dragging in. And every one of them have been touched by Jesus. Every one of them could tell you an event to date. On this day, I was and now I am. And at that moment, Jesus sits down with a sea of people profoundly touched by him. And as he sits down, we know teachers sit to teach. Could you imagine in those days, the listeners stood and teachers taught three, four hours That keeps you from falling asleep. Teachers usually don't fall asleep. It's the people who listen to you, right? And as he sits down, we read that now, sort of like the cream rising to the surface of the milk, now all of a sudden things change because now we read that there are two groups, the disciples who've moved forward to listen to Jesus and the mass that could still tell you about that event. And that was it. So there were those that would be touched and there were those that would be transformed. There are those that just wanted to go to Egypt and there were others that were interested in actually a promised land. And after all that he's taught us about get it through your head, if there's one thing you are now, it's not an X something. Stop getting your identity from your tombstone. I'm an ex-violent guy. I'm an ex-gangbanger. I'm an ex-prostitute. I'm an ex-drug dealer. I'm an ex... You you know, that person's buried for a reason. But Jesus says, you know what you are now? You're blessed. Nine times you're blessed. Get that through your head. If you could get that through your head, this whole thing changes. You're blessed now. It's like when you look in the mirror, that's what you should see. Not what you used to be. I'm blessed now. I've been touched by Christ and I have a relationship with him. I'm blessed now. If you have received this gift of Jesus, if not, I want to warn you, I'm going to give you that chance. 
And then he goes, let me say how you are, not just to me, but what you are to others now. You're the only eternal, transforming, enduring, fortifying, preserving thing on the planet. You are the salt of the earth, not a salt of the earth. You're the only salt this earth has. And you're the only light this cosmos has. That's it. Without you on this earth, it's dark. It's just that simple. Can you see why the enemies tried to work so hard to get you to put yourself under a bushel? Tuck you into a corner? Make your Christianity something you do behind closed doors? That's like saying, you know, the whole world's going to be dark without you. And I remind you, darkness will never overcome light. Darkness is the absence of it. So when we start looking and saying, oh, it's a dark place. Don't you dare say, yes, it's a dark place. If you are there, it's not dark anymore. You're the light of the world. Not a light, you are the light. And with that in mind, I recognize, no matter how dark it was before I got there, we read in Psalm 139 that darkness is light to you. God, anywhere you're going to go. It isn't like God's going to go someplace and go, ooh, this feels spooky, this is dark. Because if he's there, it's not dark anymore. And if he lives inside of you, how is it dark when you're there? And he goes, get this through your head. Without you, the world has no connection to eternity. You are the ambassador of eternity of this world. That's what salt is. Without you, the world's dark. So please recognize, I did not just redeem you. I did not just touch you so that you could go and actually do what was done to you. The same way that Jesus would say, if you will, hey, I didn't pull you out of Egypt so you could then tower over and tyrant over the Egyptians. I brought you out to give you a new place. To make you a world toucher, a world transformer. And please understand, I'm not just talking to those of you who go, oh, that prayer, that guy, he's probably going to be a pastor. Oh, that guy, I know that. I'm talking about every one of you. And the one of you who feels the least equipped to be that is probably the one most qualified. Because it tells us that God uses the foolish things of the world to shame the wise, and the weak to shame the strong, and the debased, despised, base, and are not. So if you really feel like that's your category, congratulations, according to God's CV requirements, you've just made it, you've qualified. And the reason is, is because it's the strong people that give their strength the credit. It's the smart people that often give their brains the credit. Which is really sad because God's the one who should get it all. So Jesus is like, get this through your head, you guys. I mean, imagine you are, you for the first time in your life, you have a working leg where you're going to get up for the first time. You're going to be emotionally sane for the first time that you can remember. You've been unpossessed for the first time since you can remember. And you're going to look and go, whoa, and Jesus goes, get this through your head, you are blessed. And now I'm going to use you to touch the world. The world. You're the salt. You're the light. And by the way, then Jesus turns and goes, now let's make sure that you understand who I am in relationship to all this. I am the fulfiller. All scripture, I'm the fulfillment of it. You, I'm the fulfillment of you. Every nook and cranny in your soul, I'm the fulfiller of it. Every dream that you really have at the base of it, the core of every appetite, I am the fulfiller. I am the filler of every hole that I created inside of you. I'm the fulfillment of that. And if I am not the fulfillment of that, you will never be the salt and light that I've called you to be. And God goes, now that we've figured out who you are, and now that you've figured out who I am, let's move on to what you're supposed to be now. But first, let's say this. Things change from the inside out. That's the way I've always looked. God, we read that in First Samuel when it says that the man looks at the outer appearance, but it is the Lord that looks at the levav, literally. It's the insides, your heart, if you will. And God goes, so let's start changing it there. In other words, <clears throat> it's not just about doing things nice on the outside. This is never going to be about good works, but it is going to be about living it out and working out your faith in the sense of getting busy. But I've learned this. When you're in love, you get busy. So, instead of just 
sleeping around and saying you're safe because you haven't done that. Imagine today, God's like, let's just take it a step beyond that. What about internet porn? How are you doing with that? And God's going to take it a step beyond that. Jesus doesn't even go that far. He goes beyond that. And he says, look, you look at someone to lust. I'm looking at the heart. What do you think that looks like to me? Okay, so you haven't killed anyone. Congratulations. Maybe you're too coward to do that. And I'm not encouraging you to live it out. But I see your heart. And if you're a bitter, I know what that looks like. What do you think that looks like to me? And your word, your vows, and your marriage, what does that look like? Are you selling cars here? I don't mean to pick on the profession. Are you somebody that no one can really trust in what they say because inside you're brewing up the right words to put them together in a way so that's not necessarily all false? God's like, I'm looking at the heart. I see what you're doing in there. You're like a mad scientist figuring out how to take over the thing with the words you use. And he goes, and let's talk about that outer religion thing, those things that we practice. I mean, our giving and our praying and our sacrifices, be that in fasting or whatever it is that you think you've done that's so magnanimous and such a gift to God. God's like, so let me ask you something. Are you doing that out of the adoration of your king or for the applause of the crowd? Where are you at with this? Because in the end of it all, if you're really doing it for somebody else and I'm looking at the heart, you realize I see what the eyes of your heart are and they're not on me. There's no standing ovation for me because actually your back's to me while you're performing for them. And all of that goes, can I just say it boils down to this simple point. In chapter one, the basic point is you're salt and light. Let's get over it and let's, let's be what we're supposed to be. In chapter two, it's like, well, where's your treasure then? Because where your treasure is, your heart's going to be. And it's either going to be the things of earth or it's going to be that which is eternal. And if you look around the room, the only thing eternal in this room are people. I'm really thankful we're not taking these speakers with us or that guitar or the amplifiers or whatever or any of that. I mean, let's face it, even the clothes we have more than likely will wear out in style before they probably will wear out naturally. You know, red's the new pink. Pink's the new orange. Black's the new black, as far as I'm concerned. And he goes, if that's the case, if you can, get, if you can resolve that in your heart, because the heart of the matter is the matter of the heart, if we can get there, well, then what becomes the most important thing? What becomes the most important thing will always be your walk. Well, let me say it this way. For me, the most important thing has to be my walk, and the second most important thing has to be yours. That's really everything. If I can say this walk has to be, is number one for me, and then I look and say your walk is number two, and everything I get, everything I have, everything I am, that I have ambitions on, everything I seek to obtain, somehow revolves around that, all of the rest of the stuff falls into place. If what I become then is a person that overflows from an intimate relationship with my God, and then I look at you and I become an ambassador of reconciliation to that king, oh man, doesn't this make sense now? How could I possibly condemn you if what I'm trying to do is reconcile you? How could I possibly just seek to find that speck when I've got this giant plank? I better deal with my own issues first or I'm really not even going to be, I'm not going to see clearly enough to be able to actually help you the way I should because I won't really actually be trying to restore you to, to the king. I'll be trying to resolve something in myself. And you watch that sometimes with counselors who still have something that's kind of broken inside of them and they're going to try to go and reach out to somebody else. Now, I'm not saying this is everyone, but there are times where the issue is they're going to try to resolve that thing. But the problem is in resolving that thing, they're trying to work it out in themselves. And what happens is it excuse you. you can't see things clearly because of that. God says, you need to get that thing dealt with first. 
And there's the beauty in it. So when he turns to this text, he'd gone from that to ask, seek, and knock. And I guess the idea, understand the whole idea of reconciling, being an agent or an ambassador of reconciliation, restoration to our king. Asking, seeking, and knocking was not about Bentleys, and it was not about new houses on Chelsea. It was all about that. If what's most important, how could we take a right turn from what's most important is my walk, and then second is yours, and then ask, seek, and knock, and go, oh good, now I can get stuff. How does that work? Unless what's most important is my walk, Second most important is yours. And then he goes, ask, what am I asking for now? For an overflowing walk here to affect your walk elsewise. So I'm asking for that. And I'm seeking opportunity. And then I'm, I'm knocking. I'm initiating for that purpose. That's where that goes. And then he leads us to this text. And that's our whole sermon. But notice here now, Jesus lays things out hardcore. And he says, look at it. There are two gates. There are two paths. Did you see that? There are going to be two animals. There are going to be two trees. And in the end of it all, there are going to be two houses and two results. Well, that's where he walks us. So this is where it starts. Look at it with me. He says this. And understand, Jesus is speaking a language that is as pertinent today as it was 2,000 years ago. Could you imagine? 2,000 years ago, Jesus is speaking this and they get it like we do. He says, look at, there's two doors. But Jesus, by the way, I remind you, when he gets to the wise man building his house upon the rock and the foolish man building it on the sand, the difference was not hearing his word, but doing what he said, right? He goes, that's the whole difference. It wasn't which of you are nodding off. Which of you are going to take this now and engage it and become part? It's going to become now just not an app, but it's going to be your operating system. And I look and I go, well, what's his, what is his command? If I'm going to do what he says, it's not just the doctrine he's laying out. I have to do something. He's going to tell me to do something. And this is what he says in verse 13. Enter. There is the word. There's the command. Enter. You're going to step in a gate. When you walk out that door today, you're going to step in a gate. And it's going to be one of these two. And he paints it without apology. And I wish we would. He says there's one gate and it's really wide. There's another gate, and it's really not wide. It's really narrow. There are two roads on those, on those gates, beyond those gates. The wide gate has a very wide, smooth, well-paved road. On the other side of it, that narrow gate, that's rough to get through, well, it's going to have a rough road on the other side. The wide gate, many find it, which means it's really popular. It is going to be, and by the way, Jesus, I remind you, is speaking to his disciples. He is not just speaking to a mass of people here. He is speaking to people who have now enrolled in the school of Jesus. These are students, card-carrying, if you will, Bible-toting Jesus students. And he's looking at the class, and he's telling them, in this classroom, there are two gates. And many of you are going to take the wider one, but don't. Many of you are going to take the smoother road, but don't. Because he tells us that one is going to be popular and not just with the world, beloved. Please hear me. Not just with the world. Why is the gate narrow? I mean, the road being rough makes sense. Why is it rough? Because not enough people walk on it. But why is the gate narrow? 
because you can't bring your stuff with. We understood that. Some of you are familiar with the sort of term of an eye of a needle from places like Turkey and other places in the Middle East where they have a large door when everyone brings their caravan and then they have a much smaller door where you even have to remove your, your luggage before you get through. Now understand, if we were setting up a city and we knew that we were going to be besieged by an army we were confident we could take down, we would simply set up an ambush and let them come in into their death. We would make the entrance easy. If we were concerned about their military might, we would do like what many did is they made their kind of entrances sort of like an S-curve. So what happens is every time you had to stop and turn, they could dump hot oil on you, dump rocks, and they could make your life pretty miserable until there's no life left. I get that. But if we're walking around the city and we go, oh, look, there's an open door and there's a straight shot in, let's go, guys. We are blind to see the destruction, and that's what Jesus is telling us here. And I remind you, he's talking to people that he claims, that are making claim that they're his students now. They're like, look it, I'm saved, I'm going to heaven, I know what I'm feeling, and I'm redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, and we got the, all of our language, and oh, I'm just going to, I'm singing, oh, the glory train's coming, and then we all got that coming. And Jesus goes, oh, listen, 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 what gate are you going to choose? And one of them is easy. And all your friends might want to go there. Oh, we're Christians. We're all cool. Let's go through that one. Come on. And you know what happens because they're going to look at you if you choose the other and they're going to go, that's really narrow, isn't it? And what Jesus says is, yes, it's narrow. Good. Let that confirm what I'm saying here. It is narrow. Thank them for it. I make no apologies. And they'll go, oh, that's really narrow. And Jesus goes, yes, it is. I make no apologies to that. It is narrow. But let me be honest. If you're drowning... You don't need a multiplicity of things to find that float to grab a hold of. You just need one you're sure is stable. The options are what become the problem. One of the reasons something becomes narrow is because it makes it simple. And when it makes it simple, it makes it easier to recognize. Just listen. There are gates. And in the end of it all, you're entering into one or the other. And this is Jesus who are talking to people. I remind you, you didn't have a foot. You didn't have a lung. You didn't have a whatever. And now you're like, wow, look at me. I'm whole. I'm whole for the first time. I am whole. Do you remember that when you said yes to Jesus and you were like, wow, look what happened to me. And Jesus goes, now, which gate are you going to choose? And what happens? They go, oh, but look at how limiting You can't do the stuff we do here. Look at how the majority is doing this. Show me one place in Scripture where the multitude's a great thing. Show me one place where Jesus says, okay, you guys vote and we'll follow what you guys decide. Show me one place in Scripture where the multitude leads in a good way. It's the multitude that tried to make Jesus king when he wasn't to be the king that they wanted. And it was the multitude who cried, crucify him. It was the multitude that rose up and Paul had to plead for his life. And I'm not saying just because it's a crowd, it's a bad thing. But you could take a bunch of brilliant people, stick them in, make them a crowd, and they become stupid. How does that work? You take smart people, and they're going to walk somewhere. Some of them carry signs, and the next thing you know, some of them are throwing bottles. How did that happen? And the reason I say that is, please understand my heart, and I really believe God's heart in this, is that he's practically begging the people who actually already feel like they're in. I mean, we've, we've gotten our letter of admission. We're good. We're there. We're solid. And he goes, but now you're going to have to make more choices. 
I thought I chose Jesus. I thought that's enough, right? Get out a hell free card. That's good. And Jesus is like, man, you're missing the mark. We started with salt and light. And we are ending with this. But let me warn you. One of them is well advertised. It's on the brochures. And it's the one we usually play up when it comes to Christianity. Jesus is your savior. It's really nice. It's going to be a smooth road. Don't worry. Even if things get a little bit rough, don't worry. And Jesus is like, listen, when we get down to the end of this, the rain's going to fall on both houses. The floods are still going to rise on both houses. And the wind is going to beat on both houses. It is not a variable. That is the constant regardless of who you are. The issue is not the absence of storms. The issue is what house stands. And I've watched houses fall. And it's not fun. When you sit there with a guy that is OD'd on heroin and you know that somehow you're going to say goodbye that we can't hear you because somewhere down the line the storm came and the house fell. And you wish that you could speak to him. Or worse yet, if you will, a guy that actually went there after that situation, OD's on heroin, winds up in the same place, and then God heals him and then he goes and thinks he's invincible now because now he didn't die like the last guy in that bed. And the last, when I visited the first guy that died, I was with the guy who wound up overdosing the second time. You'd think. But it isn't about your head now, is it? It's about your feet. So he goes, listen, I'm going to put two, two gates before you. And I want to warn you, one isn't popular like the other is. One isn't jolly and peaceful like the other one or what people would think. Jesus never promised you a comfortable life. He promised to be your comfort in this life. And that's very different. Because what the world needs to see is not a person that's happy-go-lucky because the world is, is easy on them. What they need to see is a God who can carry you through the trials because they are struggling and they're suffering and they need to see where they can find peace. And if your life is just peaceful and things are just, oh, things are all just like not a problem. Hey, look at peace as far as the world's concerned is an absence of, di- of inconveniences, of discomforts. But when people see that Jesus really is something different is when you have no reason to be happy, but you've got all the joy in the world or beyond the world. So listen to this text. Because we'll go through it fairly quickly, but I really want us to grasp the heart of it. And I could, we could develop every verse to the point where we're here until sometime you know, before, you know, anyways. But uh, Merry Christmas. Let's continue on with the next verse. But what I really want us to get is the heart of it, because if we miss the heart for all of the sort of uh, just sort of academia of it, we're going to we're going to sort of be really gifted to see the the leaf, but not see the impact of the forest here. And he says, listen, enter by the narrow gate. And it says, because the word for God or means because you need to consciously. There's the point. You need to consciously enter the narrow gate because it's going to be really easy to go the other one if you don't. If you do not make a conscious choice, I am going to choose the road less traveled. I am going to take the narrow gate. I am going to actually choose what Christ tells me is right. Although other people will be like, don't you see Christianity is much more broad than that. We don't go ahead and just do whatever the Bible says. We took a vote and we decided some things needed to be vetoed. They're not culturally the same anymore. Well, I mean, we took a little bit and we realized, hey, you know, 
God's this is a different culture, and if God really knew where this culture was going to go, he would have written out these escape clauses. Now, maybe you don't side with that, but it's amazing when someone says, I know God says that divorce is wrong, but I am just nuts because this woman's driving me crazy. As if it says, well, you know, you can stay married unless she drives you crazy. Then, okay, go ahead and get rid of her. And it's amazing how many times, and I bet you get it too, someone will sit down with you and they'll want counseling and they'll say, I, I, okay, I, I kind of know that's where scripture says, but you need to hear my case. Because my case somehow should shift the truth. And you're like, you know, if God knows everything, you'd think he would have written that escape clause. And if not, I don't think that the issue here is your situation. I think we need to reconcile your life to truth. And you're like, that is narrow. Yes, it is. And he goes, you're going to need to make a conscious choice. We cannot drift through Christianity. Because let's face it, you're going to fight your flesh until you die. It will never convert. Never. Isn't it like one day you're going to wake up and your flesh nature got saved? That's like, oh my goodness, my, my body physically wants to read the Bible now. Oh my goodness, there's a part of my heart, my knees are saying, please kneel for hours to pray today because I'm just ready. Paul says he buffets his body. In other words, he says, body, if we're going to fight, I'm going to win. And you know, isn't it amazing you ever do this? You're sitting, if you're the kind that has a TV someplace near your bed and you know what happens, it's like you could open up your Bible and it's an instant sedative, but you can turn on the TV and watch it for hours. Now, granted, you'd say, well, it changes every three seconds. Yeah, well, you know, is that really the point? You only want it to change three seconds? Write Scripture on cards and then just read them fast enough. You can even change the colors if you want. Oh, purple one. Oh, look at that. Whoa, now it's moving. 3D. But in the end of it all, the point is, is that your flesh isn't going to go, yeah, finally, let's do this together. That's why he says you're going to have to call it dead. Because dragging that old dead thing around with you is not going to benefit your walk. And Jesus, you're going to have to make a conscious choice now. And I remind you, these are people who already can tell you that Jesus did something in their life. They can say, I was, and now I am. I'm blessed. That's what I am. Now I'm blessed. That's what I am. I'm blessed. I'm blessed. Stoked. Blessed. You know, the other gate is wide. I make no apologies. It's wide, which means I can bring whatever I want in with me. Listen, I could bring in whatever I want with me. I'll go ahead and receive Jesus, but you could go ahead and be this. Go ahead and receive Jesus, but you could drag in that old nasty whatever. We're going to do, we're going to make church look like the world. So the people go, what's heaven like? And the church goes, I have no idea. I'm too busy looking like you. I could bring in all my baggage. I could be who I was because I was pretty cool. Now I'm going to figure out how to be really cool in church. It was about me before and now I'm going to bring me in. That's quiet. It's big enough for that to happen. And the road is smooth. Oh, not as many bumps. And understand, please understand, Jesus is making clear you're either going to be more about the, the destination or the ease of the trip. And when we are so married to comfort and ease and convenience, 
Any of you get frustrated because something says it takes 45 seconds or three minutes on your microwave now? You're going to say, are you kidding me? This thing's got to be in the microwave for three minutes? What kind of thing? I thought, what? this is a microwave, right? Micro, is it somehow it's supposed to be like InstaWave or something? Shouldn't I just put it in and press a button and boom, there it is? Three minutes. I can't put a filter on my internet. You realize that adds 13 seconds to my searching. 13 seconds. Wow. You must be in a real hurry. That's like the people who abbreviate this, the month June with J-U-N. You've got to be in a real hurry. Don't have time for that E. The road's the Broadway. Smooth as paved and we can all walk together. I can hang out with all my friends. But can I tell you the truth, please? Jesus has come to kill you. And he's come to make you new. So don't you dare tell me Jesus should accept you as a homosexual. Jesus should accept you as a violent person. Jesus should accept you as a drunkard. I'd say he'd gladly take you for whoever you are, but he loves you way too much to leave you, no matter who you are. Nobody remains the same. We don't single out anyone because we're all a mess. And they say, well, Jesus needs to take me for who I am. But if you don't let Jesus reinvent every part of you, you are not taking Jesus for who he is. And that's the key when we get to this. There'll be two people, both saying, Lord, Lord, and one of them doesn't qualify. Beloved, please hear me. Isn't that why you came to Christ in the first place? Because the Holy Spirit spoke to you and said, look, I want to show you the power of the resurrection. But how could you see the power of the resurrection if something doesn't die? Wide is the gate, broad is the way that leads to destruction, and there are many who go by it. You need to, Jesus is making no apology either about where this ends up. Apalaya is the Greek word for destruction here. It's the same word that is used in John 17, 12 when he speaks about the son of perdition, the son of hell. It's the same word that is used, by the way, interestingly enough, in Matthew 26, 6, spoken by originally the son of perdition, Judas Iscariot, when Mary was lavishing the oil upon his feet and covering him in that beautiful scent of the perfume of, if you will, her bride price, and he says, why this waste? And that word really impacts me. Because what, I mean, of all the people, the voice of the son of perdition says, what a waste, a waste. This was so precious. This was so valuable. And you wasted it. And that's the word that's here. He says, oh, the road's smooth and the gate's big. You can walk in, but in the end, it's a waste. What do you think is so precious that it will be the waste at the end? You! That's the precious thing. You! So what happens in the end of it all is God looks and He goes, you have no idea how precious you are, because if you did, you wouldn't see how you wasted it on this ease for the moment. But now you spend the rest of eternity in this. Is this what you want? Do you think you'll look back and go, boy, am I glad that that was an easy trip to hell? And he looks and he goes, please, please, please don't do that. But you're going to have to make that as a conscious choice because you don't just drift into the narrow gate. You walk there and you walk there by choice. And I, by the way, it's something we discovered and it's, it's relatively new to, to me in California, but there are things here called public footpaths, right? 
And they're kind of an exciting thing because you never know where they may lead. And what that is, is apparently somebody owns some farmland and they have like a couple bulls and I don't know, some wild animals and a shooting range or something. And they'll just let you kind of walk through their field on the way to someone else's field. And we did that a, a few times, by the way, when we were on this sort of speakers week. And I just remember walking through and people were like, oh, look at this. There was one that just sort of, it sort of said public footpath with an arrow. And then the next sign said, beware of the bull. And I thought, what kind of public footpath is this? And I'm kind of looking around and I'm like, oh, I think we're pretty safe because Ben's wearing red. We're okay. Ben, you can, when, when the bull comes, you run the other direction from me. But it isn't just the fact that there might be a wild animal, one thing we notice is that the public footpath is paved with poo. It was amazing. Everywhere you stepped, there, I mean, there, there was more poo than there could be possibly animals on the planet. I've never tiptoed like that in my life. But every step you stepped had to be intentional and careful or you were going to get a lot taller really quick. And I realized this is a narrow, difficult, less traveled path. Oh, the road's easy. We go off the road. But that path, I remember walking that and thinking, are we really going to wind up someplace where people exist at the end of this? Or we're going to wind up basically with just dying from poopness and getting eaten by something? You know, a little melodramatic, you get it, yeah. And I realized that Jesus looks and he goes, now, if we took a look at what we were comparing were the gates, one of them's going to look really good on a brochure. If we're going to compare the roads, one's going to look really good on a brochure. But what they don't tell you is the cost. And the cost is ruin, waste, destruction, perdition. And the other one, at the end of it, isn't just well, it's just, well, please, please hear me. Please hear me. Is ever a road like that worth it over and over again? Sure. You know what makes it worth it? Who's on the other side? If it's someone I love, it doesn't matter how difficult the road is. I'll do it because I love the person on the other side and I just want to be with them. There's the point. And see, if what I'm trying to do here is just trying to live a comfortable life. Well, the, the big gate and the narrow, the, the wide path is going to look really nice. It doesn't matter where it goes because it's going to be smooth. We're cool. But if what I'm really concerned about is who's on the other side of it, it really, the road is less important. It's not in regards to less intentional. It's like the difficulty of the road is less important. It's irrelevant because the point is I'm so driven by wanting to be with the person on the other side. I'll do whatever it takes. And this is what he says. On one side is total ruins, but notice it says on the other side, it says narrow is the path and difficult is the road that leads to doesn't say heaven. Does it say heaven? What does it say? It's in front of you now, so you can find it. Life! Life! Now understand, this is the beauty in it. It isn't like, so we kind of think, oh, well, maybe I'll get to the end and there'll be the pearly gates. And I'm like, whoa, this is a rough road. No, understand, what there is at the end of it all is life. But the problem is, what's the one thing? I mean, Jesus made seven I am statements in the book of the Gospel of John. In the Gospel of John, what's the one he keeps repeating? I'm the resurrection and the? I am the bread of? I am the way, the truth, and the? Do you get the point? Jesus is like, I'm what you're looking for. 
And understand, the life isn't like existence. Bios is the word for that, like ology, like logos, means the, the logic of or the reasoning of the study of. Biology is the study of life. That is a different kind of life. That's your, your heart beats and your lungs expand. And when Jesus speaks about eternal life, he's not saying you get eternal lungs expanding. How do you get life more abundant? Does that mean you're just healthier? Like, all of a sudden I feel younger. Wow, I think I can run the, you know, the 1K in much less time now. I can eat that food I couldn't eat before, and now I don't, it doesn't bother me. I have abundant life. Really? That's, you think that's what Jesus wants to give you? Like he's like a steroid shot or something, or like a B12 something? Oh, I've just had a couple of really good essential oils, and now I've got eternal life. That's what we're talking about? And yet when the poets start to write about life, and they talk about being in love, and they talk about the reason for being, they see, I'm saying, Zoe is the reason for Bios. Why do I exist? Give me a reason for that. And when it's like, when it's Homer or Cicero or Aristotle, they talk about what it is that you go, oh, this is the life. That's the word he's talking about. But the problem is that in the world, the best we get is a brief moment of that. She sat next to you. You brushed shoulders. Woo, man, that was life. But then she's gone. Then you got the iPhone 6 and you're like, this is the life. And then you're like, this is really not what I thought of. And it doesn't matter what it is. Somehow it just fades. And Jesus says, listen, how would you like to have that moment forever? That's eternal life. Could you imagine? There's eternal existence. You're going to dwell eternally somewhere. Smoking or non-smoking. That will be your choice. But you're going to dwell eternally somewhere. The point is, are you going to have eternal life? That's different. And the point is, it isn't like I get eternal life when I cash in this body. If that were the case, I would be quick to want to get rid of it. Jesus says that whoever believes in him doesn't get life, has life. When I received Jesus, I received life. Life lives inside of me now. And he goes, you can't live that kind of life with the wide road. And people are like, come on now, this is peaceful, this is easy, peaceful and easy. And you're like, yeah, wow, that's the life? No, that's going to suck the life out of you because you're so busy being comfortable, you're not enjoying Christ because you're replacing Christ with it. And when you replace Christ with it, what happens next? You're heading to your own unraveling and your own ruin. You don't even see it because it's so easy to do. And the worst part is, the reason you might think you're okay is because you look around and go, well, check it out. Everybody else is doing it. And just go, stop it. Stop it. Stop it for a moment. Look at these gates, beloved. Look at these gates for a moment. And don't just go, all right, I'm going to pick that one because it's easy. Look at these roads and go, I'm going to pick this one because it's easy. Because it's popular. People like this. Is that what you want to do? He goes, let's look at what they end up. They end up with two houses. At the end of those roads are two houses. And one of these houses is going to be destroyed. And you know why? Because it was an easy entrance, it was an easy walk, and it was an easy build. And it went down just as easy. So the rest of the text in between, by the way, is really to kind of show you that on those two paths, the one of the problems with the wider path is who it lets in. And it'll be about those who lead, and it'll be about those who follow. Look at it with me. By the way, that word difficult, for the way, in verse 14, narrow is the gate, difficult is the way that leads to life. The word difficult, by the way, 
is the word slebo. Some of you are familiar with the word slebo. And slebo, by the way, kind of a hard word to say, slebo. It's like to be hard-pressed or afflicted. For instance, it's the word that Paul uses in 2 Corinthians when he says we are hard-pressed on every side. From the, word, the root word is And it's the idea, if you remember those movies like Star Wars, I'll try to connect with some of you on that, where they're kind of in the trash compactor and all the walls are closing on every side. Flebo. Flipsis. The idea of being pressed in like that. That's what Paul was saying. I see it kind of closing in on me on every side. And that's the word he tells us here in regards to this. It isn't like you can just kind of jaunt her. In the end of it all, I will never be alone in this, though it's less popular, because I have to keep my eyes on Jesus, because it's the one person I'm going to see on this road. And I have to be willing to take it whether anybody else is willing to walk with me or not. Now, by God's grace, I have a woman that I've been married to for over 26 years that I get to walk walk hand in hand with and follow Jesus. And it is such a cool thing. And for those of you who are single, do not ever get near someone you can't do that with. And the moment they're like, well, any path's cool, or let's start broadening this, or don't you think that's a little narrow, can I just say at that point, end the interview and start over? Because the last thing you want to be is, I can see Adam at that moment when Eve's like, come on now, I've bitten into it, don't you want to? And he's thinking, ah, if I stay here, I lose her. Do you really want to be there? Do you want to be that invested in that? It's like, hi, can you imagine the real brochure? Come and join me. But you're going to have to leave everything behind and let God reinvent you until you don't know what the heck you are until except Jesus. And then, once he reinvents you, and you don't even see the fact that he's not even going to show you the blueprints until you open his word. And when you do, you'll start to see he's, he's to make you his greatest masterpiece. Paul Emma is masterpiece. And I look at that and I think, and he's going to make you his cathedral, right? The greatest of all structures. When people look and go, wow, that is amazing. Someone or someone amazing must live there. So look at that. And that's what people should say when they start seeing our lives as he reconstructs us. And there was not going to be easy. People are going to hate you. They're going to laugh at you and they're going to point at you and you're going to read every, almost every article that has the word Christian in it and it's not going to be in a very positive light. And then what's going to be worse is you're going to read quote-unquote Christian articles that completely disagree with you in Scripture. And then you're like, has the world gone mad? Am I the only person that believes this? Jesus goes, few find this road, and it isn't going to be easy here. Because it isn't about the ease of the, of the, of the trip. It's about the beauty of the destination. So listen, the leaders, the problem with the wider road is it lets in these guys. Verse 15, beware of false prophets. Oh, there are going to be a couple, there's two different kinds of prophets. True ones and false ones. What does a false prophet look like? It looks like a sheep is what a false prophet looks like. That's what he tells us here. It looks like you. Now, I'm not saying you are a false prophet. I'm saying... You know, you see those signs on the, on the trains, right? Spotting a ticket inspector is easy. They look just like you. Spotting a, a false prophet is easy. They look like you. Now you're all paranoid. Uh-oh, what about the person next to me? I just prayed with that person. Now they're a false prophet. Jesus says, don't worry. I'll make it really easy. 
Interesting, when I look up false prophets, in Acts 20, when it speaks about a false prophet, it says that men will arise, this is Paul warning, by the way, the Ephesian church in Miletus, men will arise speaking perverse words or perverse things and draw away disciples after themselves. Men will rise up. In Matthew, Jesus speaks in Matthew 24:11, speaking of the times, he says, many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. In Matthew 24, just then 13 verses later in verse 24, he says, false, price, false Christs and false prophets will rise and show many great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. I think, hmm, where do they rise up from? Well, in 1 John, it tells us that they were among us. See, what the enemy recognizes is that he's going to do a lot more damage by trying to actually lead you from within out than he would be from just trying to set up and try to make the advertisement look cute on the outside. In 2 Timothy 4.3, it tells us that a time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine anymore, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up, or if you will, barf up for themselves teachers. That leaves a pretty image, doesn't it? Let me show you false prophet vomit. And the idea is simple. Why do people listen? Because they say what they want, because they say what you want to hear. They say, let's say it this way, they say what your flesh really wants to hear. No, it's okay. God's more forgiving than that. What they say in a simple sense is, it's a much wider road than you're making it. By the way, what's interesting is, you can widen the road with legalism just like you could from liberality. It says in 2 Peter 2.19 that while they promised them liberty, they themselves are slaves of corruption. So these are slaves trying to show you you can be free like them. Think that through. So how do I recognize this false prophet? Well, this is what it says. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. And again, I remind you, God says, I see the inside, you see the outside. So what you look is, oh, sheepy, fluffy, you're harmless. And God says, no, no, no. Verse 16 says, you'll know them by their fruits. And then, he, of course, speaks about trees. He says, good trees bear good fruit. Bad trees bear bad fruit. That's pretty simple. You plant an apple tree, well, it would be weird to get a peach from it. What's startling is verse 19 when he says, every tree that doesn't bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Notice it doesn't just say every tree that doesn't bear bad fruit. It's different. What about the fruitless ones? They also don't bear good fruit either. Keep that in mind. Here's the good news. You can't make good fruit happen, but you can cling to the one for whom all good fruit comes. You're the vine. I'm sorry, he's the vine. You're the branches. And in John 15, he says, just cling to me. I'll make it happen. Here's the problem. In the first of these two areas, well, how do I recognize what's the biggest difference between a wolf and a sheep? Might I just say, their diet. I find this interesting. If you look at sheep, by the way, sheep, by the way, feed from pastures. Wolves feed on sheep. Sheep follow the shepherd. Wolves hunt sheep to their pack. Sheep are gregarious. You're probably aware of that. They like to kind of hang out together. Wolves isolate. And I see this happen. You watch this. What happens with a wolf is, is that a wolf kind of sniffs around sheep and it looks for the one that will follow it out to some place where it can kill it. Some place where it can eat it. Some place where it could be its dinner. 
And it isn't about, hey, let's let's actually go and submit ourselves to the shepherd and let's follow that great shepherd together. What it is, is it's like, hmm, now how do I get you out of that safe place? Well, there's a lot of ways to do it. I could start rumors. I could create problems. I could try to make, but that's what the enemy does. Because the problem is, we look and we go, huh, it looks like a sheep. But then I look, and the moment I start seeing someone isolate a bunch of people, I start to go, what's going on with that? Why is that person so attached to you that they can only be with you? Hey, if you think the only reason, you, the only way you can find God is through me, I have failed you. My goal should be like any of us, is to make my job, in essence, obsolete. Hey, you can still come, please. But the point is, is that you don't think for a moment, I'm your lifeline to Christ. Jesus came down here so you didn't have to climb the mountain yourself. And he crawled into your grave. I didn't. And I'm just an ambassador like you. Do not allow yourself to be isolated, to be devoured. Because you'll know him by that. The problem is, it takes a while for fruit to emerge. What that means is the thing has had a chance to be planted and even to become somewhat established. And that's exactly what Jesus told us, by the way. He'll tell us in Matthew 13. When he talks about this little seed like a mustard seed that grows disproportionately large. And it says the birds of the air make their nests. And we try to make that cute. Oh, it's so sweet. The birds are like making nests. The problem is, is there's a couple parables ago. This, the, the, the birds were the devil stealing the seed of the word of God from the hearts of men. I don't think that God's like, well, now let's try to make the birds cute. I mean, you look through scripture, it's like the birds pick your flesh. They eat your eyeballs. And then they steal the word of God. It isn't like Jesus goes, wow, check that out. Isn't that good? When he says the birds of the air have nests and the foxes have holes, understand it isn't like we go, oh, sweet little foxy. I mean, this isn't the 80s where we're roller skating going, you foxy. We're looking at him and going, that, we know what foxes are like here. And he goes, they're thieves. And he goes, these things are thieves and they have a home here. I don't. This isn't my home. It's their home here. Please hear me in this. He goes, if you, here's the problem, here's the problem, here's the problem, is that someone's going to look like a sheep and they're going to say, no, 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 it's wider than this road. No, 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 it's wider than this gate. No, 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 it's easier than this. Stop making it like that. And you're like, but you don't understand. They have a TV show and they have a quote-unquote ministry, usually with their name attached to it. You know, and then you kind of look and you're like, yeah. And Jesus is, hey, I warned you. The context of that statement was you need to choose the narrow gate because they're going to be false prophets and they look so sheepy and they look so cuddly and they look so safe until the teeth come. But the problem is they won't show their teeth in the flock. They'll show their teeth outside of it when they've gotten you out with your dinner now. And you're like, oh, what this person really cares and they really love me. And, like, ah! and then you're done. And understand, I seek to have the heart of Christ. I know you do too. And when you watch, I get so angry inside when I watch someone that's falling in love with God and someone says, no, 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 you need to come and hang out with me alone. And it's, look, I'm not saying like you don't develop friendships and you don't do discipling and you don't get in the Word. I'm talking about where somehow you become the lifeline and then we could do it ignorantly. But somewhere down the line, when you start seeing that everyone starts disappearing, you say, whoa, whoa, what's going on here? Are they still walking with the Lord? Now, look, sometimes you're going to reach out to somebody and they're going to get weird. I get that. You can't be responsible for that. But in the end of it all, I'm not talking about you being a wolf. I'm talking about you staying from them. It's like, man, when someone's like, you know what? I just, 
my whole, and then they won't say, my purpose is to pull you out and eat you. Why would they say that? You'd have to be the dumbest sheep there is. But please understand, in context, it will be about the wide road. It'll be about the easy gate. And they won't tell you the cost. You've been to those places, right? You open up the menu and it tells you everything but the cost. I don't know about you, but the next thing that usually happens with me is I discovered the door again. Because you almost feel weird going, excuse me, babe, how much is this? And the fact that then they look at you like you had to ask, and you're like, okay, probably this is in my plate. But there's more than that, beloved, as we bring this around. We think, well, I'm pretty safe with that. I don't think I'm eating sheep. But this is in verse 21 now. But not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Do you realize what that says? Just people saying, Lord, Lord, isn't enough. And by the way, did you notice that Jesus didn't even play the Savior card? He's upped it beyond that. Somewhere down the line, we've pitched the, the glossy, really nice pamphlet as, as long as you're willing to say Jesus is your Savior and invite him into your heart, you're good. But what in the world does that mean? How about this? Just, and let, until you let Jesus kill you and make you what he wants to make you, you'll never inherit the kingdom of God. Jesus says it this way. Tell me if it sounds any different. Whoever does not pick up their cross daily, deny themselves, pick up their cross daily and follow me, is not worthy of the kingdom. We'll never even see the kingdom. Well, that's a little harsher of a pamphlet, isn't it? But can I be loving enough to tell you that my God loves you enough to tell you the truth and he's not playing the games we play? And I start to wonder how many times are we actually harbingers of the wrong pamphlet? Because we don't want to offend someone. And we kind of, what we really want is for people to think we're like their buddy. But am I really their buddy if I'm ushering them to destruction? And they're like, well, that's going to be a much smaller church then. That's going to be a much smaller group of people. But what, wouldn't it be just great though if we actually, if the Lord came for us right now, there wouldn't be one of us missing? So not everybody says that. It gets scarier though. Take a look at it with me. Because there's another frame of mind, and by the way, again, I'm, am I trying to sow doubt? No, I'm trying to sow confidence, but to do that, I need to show you the walls. And he says, listen, many will say in that day, there's a day for this, Lord, Lord, and I can't think of the idea, there's a bit of an ex- exasperation, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, done many wonders in your name? Oh, 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 oh. So I guess prophesying isn't enough? Casting out demons isn't enough? Doing miracles isn't enough. But isn't there places where you're clearly saved as long as you speak in tongue or you're clearly saved as long as you can do some healing? No, look at speaking in tongues is not the problem. Jesus doesn't go, you know, well, no, you didn't really do a miracle here. Notice there's two key elements. And they're the points. Verse 23 says, and I'll declare to them, by the way, women, did you notice Jesus didn't say, and the Lord will declare, but notice he says, I will declare? Could you imagine what that would be like for Jesus to know that he's going to, and he's looking at a crowd of people, and what if he knew every person he's going to stand before, and he knows he's going to say this to him? See, we can't do that, right? I can't look here and say, I'm just confident every one of you has said yes to Jesus, and I know we're going to walk, and when this whole thing, when the dust settles, we're all going to be standing with the Lord. I would love to say that, but I can't imagine what it would be like to be Jesus. And to be looking at you and saying, some of you are going to say, didn't I do all these really cool supernatural things? Jesus is going to go, but I didn't even know you. 
You did this stuff in my name like my name was the clout here. Like my name was a wall socket you plugged your thing into to get the job done. But could you imagine them saying, you don't know all this stuff I've done for you or all this cool supernatural stuff and I've danced this dance and I've said this thing and I've brought awareness and I've done this great stuff and miracles happen and crazy stuff and all this. And can you imagine Jesus looking and going, have we met? Are we missing the point? Because Jesus isn't. It's like, yeah, I work for me. I didn't hire you to be my employee. I died for you to be my love. He goes, please hear me. Prophesying? That's great. But it's not the point. Doing miracles? Awesome. But it's not the point. Teaching? It's not the point. The point is, do you know him? Not just know about him, not just have his stats. Do you know him? I look at this and my heart hurts. Because I think, man, when the people cry these things out, I just kind of get the idea that there are people who are just going to be so exasperated, they're going to be so amazed. Because they thought they were so safe when they weren't. Because some wolf in a sheep's clothing kept telling them that this easy path was cool. Listen to this in Luke 13:25. When the master of the house is risen up and shut in the door, and some of you are familiar with this, they begin to stand outside the door and knock. And they said, Lord, Lord, why don't you open the, open the door for us? And he'll answer and say, I don't know you, where you're from. Listen to what they'll say. They'll begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence. And, we, and you taught in our streets. They'll say, I don't know who you are and where you're from. Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. Notice the other thing Jesus points out. It isn't just, you did stuff, but you didn't know me. But he says, in verse 23, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Anamias. Lawlessness means you will not submit to my law. You really never made me Lord. You were cool with the Savior thing because that just meant that you could serve yourself to not go to hell, but you were not willing to submit to my rules. I set them up and you had no interest in really following what I had for you. The problem is you had no idea the life you've robbed yourself of because of doing that. In verse 21 he said, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, by the way, again, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father. Jesus made clear what that was in John 6, 39. When he says, in 40, when he says, this is the will of the Father who sent me, that all that he has given me, I shall lose nothing, but shall raise him up on the last day. And this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life. Everlasting life. And I'll raise him up in the last day. You see, the reason why I can obey him is because I trust him. God says, do this. And you're like, that doesn't make sense. God says, does it have to make sense? You quote the verse to me all the time. Lean not upon your own understanding. Great counsel. Listen to your ears. Listen, I should say, with your ears. And can you uh, please understand, this is not Jesus angrily pointing the finger at somebody and vehemently spitting at them. This is a broken-hearted Savior looking and saying, I want you, but you got to take me for who I am. Because you're missing the point. And the point is, I want you. And I want you to want me too. 
But you're going to need to know, I know best, and if you follow me, I'm going to make the rules. And by the way, notice, by the way, as we bring to that last thing, and it'll, it'll come quick now. As we go back for just a moment, notice, by the way, when he talked about entering at the narrow gate in verse 13. He told us there were many who go by it. Did you notice in verse 14 it says, because narrow is the gate? You know why the other one's so visited? Because the other one's narrow. You know why the other one's smooth? Because this one's rough and they won't go. So bring this to close with me. Listen. So, now you have your call tonight. You've got two gates that are before you. Two gates. Two gates. That's it. Just two. How many religions are there? There's two. How many choices are there? There's two. There's the narrow one of Jesus. And there's the wide one of the buffet of religions. There's the narrow one of grace where God gives you the gift. And there's the wide one where you earn it everywhere else. There's the narrow one where you accept the gift. There's the wide one where you earn it. There's the narrow one where you have to submit to his lordship. Or there's the wide one where you just tell God what you need and he will do as you tell him. There's the narrow one where the most important thing is our walk with him and our second is everyone else's. And there's the wide one, the pearl trampling swine, the irreverent dogs. That's what he told us. The lawless that don't know him, that don't know him because you can't know God on the other one. Now, that doesn't mean we choose something because what we want is it to be difficult. We choose Christ regardless of whether it's difficult. There's the point. He goes, listen, in the end of those roads, there are two houses. And you're going to get rain. Do you want a rainproof house? And there are going to be floods. You know what that tells me? I have to have a house that's solid from the top and the bottom. The top because the rain comes down the bottom because the floods come up. But it's not just rain and it's not just floods. It's wind. It's a wind that rips through, get it like a hurricane. Get it like a tornado. It rips through windows. And ripping through a window is one thing. A Christian's life may have a broken window, but they have a house to put a new one in. A Christian house will have a wet roof and maybe have to replace a few tiles, but it will have a house to put it on. A Christian house may have to replace the carpet, but will have a floor to put it on. And the house isn't moving. And it's not easy to dig into rock. We're aware of that. Notice it wasn't about how you built the house yet. It was about what you put it in. And what you put it in is what gate you're going to go walking through now. As we go to prayer, beloved, here in this room, I know you've got your Christian costumes on. I do too. And I only mean that in the sense we know when to nod and we know what the answer should be here. We've rehearsed it. But when you walk out that door, you're going to walk out of one of those two gates or walk into one of those two gates to make the choices now for the rest of your life. And I'm not really interested in the easy if it kills me. To be honest, I've had it already. I've walked that route. It sucks. It gets you there quick and it doesn't pay anything worth it. 
And I'm going to be honest. You don't have to walk with me for me to make that choice. I have to make that choice. The gate's narrow, so narrow. I have to make that choice myself, whether you do or not. But I'm making that choice. I'm making that choice to follow him because it's insane not to. Jesus only had one way. Do you wear that? Think of the narrow gate he had. It wasn't like he could just teach and we could go to heaven. It wasn't like he could just do miracles and we could go to heaven. It wasn't like he could just crack this guy and say something cool or get baptized and have a dove land on his shoulder and we could go to heaven. He had to die. He didn't just have to die. He had to be tortured to death. He had to hang on a cross. Talk about a narrow, you know, a narrow gate. He had one choice. Was that or let us all go to hell? That was his choice. Do you think the road was an easy one? Was it ever without opposition? Jesus knows the rough road. And he knows the narrow gate. And he knows it really well. Here's the crazy part. The door, the gate, that's exactly what Jesus said in John 10. He said he's the only door, the only gate to the sheep. He says if we choose that one, we go in and out and find pasture. He goes, that's where the green grass is, by the way, for the sheep. That's where it is. Interesting. He's the only gate. Well, what about the way? But Jesus said that too, didn't he? He's the way, the truth, and the life. He's the only way. It only goes to the Father except by him. How about the house? Didn't Jesus say, I go to prepare a house for you? And then when I'm done, I'll come back and receive you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. Here's the beauty of it. He builds the house and comes and gets us and walks us to it. We're never alone in this. So what gate? Jesus. What road? Jesus. What house? Jesus's. I like it. It made it really simple. And that makes sense in our heads. But it will be defined by your choices now. Will you do what he says? Well, that's the house that's built. Will you pray with me?